Welcome to Life Lessons with Dr. Steve Shell. For 20 years, Dr. Steve's 30-minute radio program, Life Lessons, was heard throughout the United States. Committed to comprehensively teaching through entire books of the Bible, Pastor Steve pulls out the deep, eternal truths in each section of Scripture without skipping over the challenging passages. He applies what is learned clearly and practically so that we're inspired not to just be hearers of the Word, but doers also. God, open our hearts today. We don't want to be entertained. We don't want to be amused. We want to be fed. We want you to open our eyes. We want to be closer to you when we're done. We want to understand you and your ways. We want to obey you. We love you. We're your disciples. And so, Lord, may our eyes see spiritual things. Our ears hear your voice. And our hearts be soft and full of faith. We would not be unbelieving, Lord. But of you, we believe. Grace me to speak your word and not my own. In Jesus' name, amen. We're in Acts chapter 16. We're going we're gonna to start at verse 11. We're now in Philippi. And uh, we're seeing the, the first person that the missionary team, Paul and Luke and Silas or Silvanus, they are the missionary team. And they're, they're, going, they're at Philippi. They will be going to Philippi as we read. When I read this section, I, I, uh, the Lord said to me, uh, don't pass up Lydia. And I, I looked at it. It's only a few verses. And, and, and I, when I went through, the, I studied through the whole chapter for the most part. And I said, well, Lord, how about if I make her the first point? And then, then I got, uh, you know, the demonized woman. And then I've also got the jailer. And he just said, don't pass up Lydia. She said, there's something there for you. And... Um, so we have, and I, I think you'll see who's right. Let's start at verse 11. How about that? Yeah. <laughs> Paul is, um, you recall how we got here? Uh, we, were, we were heading, we went to the Galatian churches. This is the second missionary journey. We went through those Galatian churches. And then Paul and Silas with Timothy along, uh, they are, they're going and kind of not knowing where they're going, but they're going on a new stage. And so they head west and they think they're going to go into Asia, the, the province there, which is western coastal area of, of Turkey. And the Lord, they go a little ways in and the Lord stops them and says, no, no, this is wrong. The Holy Spirit does. And they go back and they take a highway north. And then they go 150 miles clear up to nearly the Black Sea. And then they think they're going to go into that region and they start in. And then the, then the Lord Jesus in a vision or something says to them, no, no, not that. Go back. And so then they, they head west and they go another 200 miles, you know, 250 miles. And they end up in ancient Troy. That's where they end up, right on the coast of, of, uh, of what is now northern Turkey there. And... Uh, there Paul has a vision. Remember what the vision was? It, it, through the night, Luke says. In other words, it repeated itself. Uh, it was a long one. I don't know what it was. It must have repeated itself. He sees a Macedonian man, and the Macedonian man is beckoning him like this. Come, come. And then the Macedonian man uh, yells to him, come to our rescue. Come quickly. Come to our rescue. And he sees this through the night. He wakes up in the morning, and they, they, they talk together, and they say, the Lord's calling us, and they, they just get on a boat. I mean, there's an urgency to it, and we pointed out that Luke, this Luke joins them. They didn't know Luke before. Somehow they meet Luke in Troas, uh, this wonderful physician, uh, this, this, this godly man. He's a, he's a Gentile, it, it appears, uh, and a physician, and he then joins them. And so that's where we pick up. We're going we're gonna to respond to that vision, verse 11. So putting out to sea from Troas, that's the, what it's called now, uh, then, instead of Troy, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, which is an island, and on the day following to Neapolis, which is right there on the coast, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony. And we were staying in this city for some days, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to a riverside where we were supposing that there would be a place of prayer. And we sat down and began speaking to the women who had assembled. A woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God, 
was listening and the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household had been baptized, she urged us saying, if you've judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and stay. She prevailed upon us. She conquered us, he says. All right, let's look at our text. We're going to look at Lydia's heart. Luke says, and setting sail from Troas, we, we, we had a good run. That's literally what he says. Meaning favorable winds which allowed the ship to sail straight to where they're headed. Which was the first stop was Samothrace, this island about 70 miles north. And then on the following day into Neapolis, about the same distance. Now what's interesting is later on, uh, Luke rejoins this trip on the, from Philippi back. And it takes him five days. So he's telling you something. We have this vision. It says, come, come, come to our rescue quickly. And then they get, they get in a boat and whoosh, the winds are with them and they go straight there. He's telling you we're in a hurry. We're in a spiritual hurry. God is getting us there. We got to meet somebody. All right. A very important highway ran through Neapolis called the Via Ignatia, Ignatian Way. It was paved and carefully maintained military road that ran from Dyrrachium on the Adriatic Sea eastward all the way to what we call today Istanbul. It served as Rome's main land route across northern Greece, and Paul and his team traveled west on it from Neapolis to Philippi and later on to Thessalonica. In spite of the fact that it was located in eastern Macedonia, Philip was, Philippi was the site of an important battle in Roman history. There in 42 BC, Antony, that'd be Mark Antony, and Octavian, who became Caesar Augustus, and Lepidus, I haven't a clue, defeated Brutus and Cassius, the assassins of Julius Caesar. Do you know, remember the story about Julius, Julius Caesar? You read that at all in school at Shakespeare? You remember Et tu Brute, as he sticks him with a knife? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what was happening is Julius Caesar became a dictator. Remember that? He, he, took, he took over what had been a republic, and he became a dictator. And so these men are killing him to try to rescue the republic from this dictatorship. And then they have to flee. Well, right across this, the narrow part there of the Adriatic Sea between Italy and, and northern Greece, is you, you go straight to Dyrrachium there, and then there's this great highway. And so they, and apparently some troops with them, uh, people who were loyal to them fled, and they just head east, and they're just, I think they're booking it. Uh, as fast as they can get out of town, they're, they're, they're headed, and they catch them, is what I surmise, at Philippi. So the imperialistic forces, the dictators' forces, catch them, and it's at Philippi that they catch them, and, and they conquer them there. They, they defeat uh, uh, Brutus and Cassius, and to honor that victory, the city had been declared a colony which meant it became a military outpost and its citizens had all the same privileges as the citizens of Rome. If you're in a colony, you're in just a little chunk of Rome. You have every privilege they have in Rome. You're a Roman. Everything's Roman there. You have all the laws, all the privileges, all the benefits are there. It's a big deal. Luke tells us how this missionary team began evangelizing Philippi. He says, we were staying some days in the city, and on, the, on Sabbath days, we went outside the city gate by a river where we thought there would be prayer. He doesn't say a place of prayer. He just says where we thought there'd be prayer. And sitting down, we spoke to the women who had come together. And a certain woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth, which is the favorite cloth for Roman togas, from the city of Thyatira, a city in Asia Minor, that specializes in dyeing purple cloth. You, you see what we've got here going? We've got a woman who's from a city that produces this purple cloth, which is the cloth for the togas, has a business in a Roman colony where everybody wants purple togas. So you, you can see the, the, the business connection. A Gentile who worshiped God. Luke specifically tells us the, the woman's a Gentile and a worshiper of God. Kept listening. And the Lord opened her heart to understand. I want you to see this line. The Lord opened her heart to understand and receive the things spoken by Paul. Would you read that part with me? The Lord opened her heart to understand 
and receive the things spoken by Paul. Uh, that, that is exactly what it says. There's, there's a word there, uh, Greek, forgive me for this, but just bear with me a minute. Uh, Greek stacks prepositions on the front, front of words if they want to. And so the word opened has in front of it up, and then in front of that it has through. Now don't go through up, that is not what it says. <laughs> through completely. And so, so what you have is opened up completely. God comes on this woman and opened up her heart completely. And then it says, prosecane, to take to herself. See that? To take to herself the things that Paul was speaking. This is important. Luke is actually showing us the dynamics of this woman's salvation. We're watching her get saved. This is very, very precious. And as she and her household were baptized, she invited us to be guests in her home saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and stay. And she urged us so strongly, we prevailed. She prevailed. Reviewing the facts. All right. Luke must have been a surgeon. He is so precise in the way he explains things. We can often see in our mind's eye what's taking place. In this passage, he explains to us with remarkable clarity what happened to Lydia as she received Christ. And as he does so, a great mystery is revealed. We are able to recognize what God does in the process and also see what she, the human, must do. And the truth she reveals is so much deeper and more beautiful than the shallow arguments we often hear debated on this subject. So let's review the facts he presented to us. Haven't you heard the debate? When people get saved, is it all God? Does, does God come? I mean, nobody's going to come to God on their own. They're, 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 they're in bondage and they're in darkness, true. And, and, and so, so God has to do it all. He comes and kind of picks you up like a bug. And, and then there's the other side of the equation that says, no, no, no. It's, 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 it's you. It's the human. You've got to decide you need God. And you've got to you know, come to your senses and, and go get him. Go find him somewhere. And so you've got these two extremes, and both of them just seem something wrong with it, you know? Uh, but you don't know what to do. Luke has, Luke has told us. Let, let's review these facts. Number one, Lydia was a businesswoman, you see that? Who sold purple cloth to Romans for togas. He's running an export-import business. That's what you do when you do that kind of thing. So the cloth comes from her hometown, uh, which is, by the way, in the, in the Asia that Paul didn't go to. So, so the cloth comes to her. She, she has a, a probably manufacturing team or whatever. She's making togas, whatever. And then undoubtedly, she's sending home stuff from that area. She's, she's a successful businesswoman. Just, just a little parenthesis here. This is the church that will care for Paul financially when no one else does. When he's in prison and abandoned pretty much, they send Epaphroditus with a great gift. This is the group, he says, and may God, you know, for, for your, you didn't have to do this. He says, I've learned to, 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 to be poor and I've learned to be in, in want and in, in, in plenty. I've learned that in all things, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I've learned that. And then, and then he says, but because of your gift, may, may God bless you according to his riches and glory. This is the group. And don't you know Lydia is part of that? Don't you know this, this businesswoman is part of that? She was a Gentile who worshipped Israel's God. The city had no synagogue, you notice? Uh, a minion... Is, is, is you have to have at least 10 uh, Jewish men to form a synagogue. And they didn't have that. In fact, you'll notice at the riverbank, there's not a man there. It's, it's only uh, some believing women. Uh, so there was no synagogue and only a few believers who met on the Sabbath by a riverbank. I'll, I'll tell you, I think they're out of town. Uh, one, to get out of the demonic atmosphere of that city, which is, is strong. But I also think this is a very anti-Semitic city. I think it's a dangerous place. Uh, Rome has, uh, Claudius, the emperor, has passed the law throwing all the Jews out of Rome. And this is a little bit of Rome, right? It's a colony. That's how they feel too. And so it's a dangerous place. It's a hostile place. So if you're going to worship the God of, of Israel, 
you're going to do it out by a riverbank, you know, and probably very quietly. Uh, as she listened, pardon me, number, she didn't stop listening while Paul was presenting the gospel. He uses a particular verb that means she kept on listening. So as he's presenting Christ, she doesn't turn him off. She doesn't go, nah, you know. She doesn't do that. She keeps listening to him as he's presenting the gospel. Number five, as she listened, the Lord opened up her heart completely to understand. It has everything to do with opening up to comprehend and then to take to herself to receive the things being spoken by Paul. Because this was a group of Jews and God-fearing Gentiles, Paul would have preached the same information he used in Acts 13. Go with me there. I'm not going to re-preach that or anything. I just want you to see, what did he say that day? Luke has given us uh, basically an outline that he used. And so starting, I'm just going to just paraphrase it to you. This is what he preached when when he was with Jews. When he's with Gentiles, different deal. But when he's with Jews, this is the kind of thing he's going to say. He's going to start out and say, we have a history with God. Look what he's done to, for us over these years. And then he's going to get to David. And then he's going to say, and to David, God promised the Messiah. It was to David that he would have a, a, a son, a Messiah, uh, a man after my own heart. And then he's going to talk about John the Baptist because the whole world knew about John the Baptist. He was famous and he was respected. So he's going to talk about John the Baptist. And, and then, he's going to, then he's going to get to the, the whole thing about what they did to Jesus. And he said, this, this son of David has come. And they crucified him. Not the Jewish people in general. It was our leaders. It was the religious group that run the, runs the temple. That's who did it. And he's going, to, he's, going to, he's going to pin it on them as they deserve it. And, and then he's going to say, but, but he didn't stay dead. They put him in a tomb, and three days later, he rose from the dead. He, he, God declared him to be our savior. So he's preaching the resurrection. You know, that's in there. Uh, he's gonna, that's the whole thing about not decaying. Uh, he's the promised one who will not decay in the grave. He'll, he can't because he's holy. So he's declaring Jesus. She's listening to this. This is what Lydia's hearing. As she sits on that riverbank with the water running by, she's listening to him tell this. And then he's going to say this. Therefore, let it be known to you, sisters, that through him, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. That through him, everyone who believes is freed from all the things from which you could not be freed through the law of Moses. You'll have a clean conscience. You're going to have a transformed heart. And then then he'll warn her. He'll warn them all. He said, but take heed. What I'm telling you is not simply one more religion. What I'm telling you is not just one, one take on things. This is the true and living God. This is the Savior he sent. And beware. Beware if you reject him. You, 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 the, you, he, do not scoff at this. And she's listening to all this. And as she listened, the Lord opened her mind to understand how it applied to her. She saw it. She got it. It bore witness to her. And then the Lord empowered her so she could take it to herself. Opening the heart. Christianity is different from all other religions. And for that matter, from all human speculation and philosophy, because Christianity isn't meant to be a religion. It isn't merely a better way to think or live. It's God inviting people to come into relationship with him through his son. The gospel announces that the one true God has made a way for people to be with him forever. And it warns that if they reject that way, they will end up separated from him forever. It's all about do you want to be with him? It's not about doctrine, finally. It's about do you love this God? Because if you want to be with him, not just get your hide out of hell. It's not that. It's not say, sign this thing, pray this prayer, say this stuff, and you won't go to hell. Okay, I'll do it. Because what you're, you know where eternity is? You're going to be immersed in God's glory like a fish in water. 
It's so strong, it'll kill you now. If you don't like him, that's hell. And I actually think that is hell. I think people step into eternity, separated from him, immersed in his presence, miserable, forever. When we present the gospel, we aren't salesmen. We're servants through whom God is speaking. He's literally there in the moment, pursuing those who will believe. He knows who will come to him and guides us to them or them to us. And then he empowers us to say what he wants us to say. And while we're saying it, he moves upon the listener to open their heart. Meaning he enables them to understand what they're hearing and to recognize how it applies to them personally. And as this takes place, they become aware of the fact that God himself is there. He has come to them. I want you to see that part of it. They don't just understand facts or information, but they become aware, ooh, you're here. The human who's speaking is just a vessel. God doesn't call to people from a distance as if saying, I'm over here. Come to me. You know, sometimes people present him, you know, you need to come and go to God. You need to find God. Like he's over, I'm over here. Come on. Come on. Come on. You can do it. You can do it. It isn't that. You don't sort of get to him. He comes to you. His spirit comes to us and starts moving in. He invades our personal space. Do you know what personal space is? Yes, you do. (laughs) Yes, you do. It is deeply intuitive. And it's just different from culture to culture. But you'll get with some people, you know, and they get in your personal space. And so you're kind of... And so they... You're going... They want to be this close, and you want them to be that close. And, and, and we don't seem to understand here. You're going, come on, stay there. And just stay there. Don't move. When God comes to us, when the, when the gospel's preached, the Lord's there. It's not just doctrine. It's not information. It's a miracle. It's a presence. Someone's there. So as it, as it comes, he comes, and you'll find You suddenly become aware he's in your personal space. You don't sense him coming. It's that, ooh, you're here kind of experience. It's wonderful and terrifying at the same time. Then inevitably, our rebellious human spirit uh, springs into action. This This is the unbeliever. It recognizes its doom is at hand. That if it doesn't do something quickly, it will lose control and another master will enter the house. Instantly, an internal assessment takes place. My spirit asks, if I don't stop this, what will God do to me? And in the blink of an eye, a decision is made. Either, yes, this is what or who I've always wanted, and I don't care what it costs. Or, no, I don't want him. Or at least I'm not willing to pay the price that being his will bring. Do you notice how relational this is? It's, it's really the language of a wedding. How many of Jesus' parables were wedding-based? Did you see, do you notice that? You have the king and then his son and his bride. You keep having this wedding imagery because that's what it is. Ultimately, it's God coming after you. He made you for him. He he loves you and wants you for himself. It's that. And so he's saying, marry me. The the, uh, covenant at Sinai, uh, we so often don't understand the tone of it. Uh, the, 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 the Gentiles have taught us that it's it's, it's this law covenant, you know, sign here. It, It wasn't, it was a marriage. The, the cloud is the hoopah. The, you know, the, 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 the Ten Commandments are your marriage covenant. And he's saying, marry me. Be loyal to me. Love me only. And your neighbor's yourself. And I'll love you as my people. And I'll care for you as a good husband. 
I've already shown myself faithful. I've shown myself powerful. Now marry me. And, and so what's the language he uses when they walk away from him? Adultery. Adultery. Why did you leave me? Why did you, why, what did I do? How did I fail you? Why, why would you walk away from me and love others? You hear the wounded spouse, don't you? That's the language all through the prophets. Listen to them. It's this wedding that's taken place. This is what it comes down to. At that moment, the gospel must do more than confront me with truth and demand a decision. Because my spirit is held in bondage. The rebellion I inherited from Adam, and all of us did. You're just born with it. It's not your fault. It, but it's too strong for me to be overcome. Left to myself, I will always be dragged back by my fears, my fierce independence, and my rebelliousness. That's, but that's why he came over me so suddenly. He caught me off guard. He arrived before my rebellious spirit could stop him. You notice? So the gospel comes and then he, catch, he catches you off guard. He's, he's sneaky. <laughs> on purpose. He catches you before you even know what hit you. It's like, whoa, you're here. So he's in there with his power and his presence drives darkness away. He's, he's, he's being kind to you. He's, 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 in, he's enabling you. We'll see that in a second. He will, he arrived, oh, I read that. Before my rebellious spirit could stop him, I made a choice to keep, I made a choice, you made a choice, to keep listening, but when I did, he opened my mind to see the truth. And I also discover I'm free. This is important. I can sense, I can open my arms and embrace him if I want to. The old chains, the old ways, the old fears, the old rebellion, that gunk that just make, sort of drags me around. I can tell it's suspended. It's suspended. His, his presence has pushed it back. I'm free in the moment. I actually have the power to make a real, informed, free decision about God. Do I love this? Now, notice these words. I chose them carefully. Pure, holy, just merciful God or not. Not just do I love a God of my own making. It isn't for you to decide who God is. It isn't for me. He is who he is. And he's a person with a very strong personality. And either you like him or you don't. So when I use the word pure, let's just live with that a minute. That means he's got all kinds of opinions. What purity is for him, what all things are for him is, is perfect love. All right, but when that applies to your sex life, when it applies to your mind, when it applies to your mouth, when it applies to the way you do things and treat people, when when he demands purity of you, because he says, be be like me. Do you you like that? Or is he an old fogey? Is he a stick in the mud? Is he he a spoil sport? Because honestly, you can watch people make the choice. God, sex. God, sex, sex, and I'll just hope for the best. I've watched that numerous times. I've watched that numerous times. I'll virtually gamble my eternity because I got to have this now. I just got to have this now. Okay, that's your call. But do you like this God? This, this God who is, who is holy. This God who is just. I mean, he's, he's, he's just even when you'd be nice. You know, I can't believe in a God who would. Well, then don't. Unfortunately, you aren't going to make the call. He's the one. Do you like the real one? Merciful. There are going to be people in heaven you would never let in. Can't you imagine the experience? You know, you get there and you go, how did you get here? And are they likely to say, how did you get here? (laughs) I I mean, he reserves the right. I mean, this is one of the things he he teaches. He reserves the right to be more merciful than is logical. And it's offensive, frankly. 
He will ask you to, to be kind to people that you really feel he should kill. I'll leave it at that. Maybe I shouldn't. Yeah. Do I want to be with him, that God, forever? Let me tell you my own encounter. I, this, I, I'm talking about this, and, and as, I, as, I, as I look at Lydia, I realize, well, that's what he did with me. I was 12 years old. I won't retell all the details, but I just want to get to the heart of the thing. I was 12 years old, and I wasn't raised a Christian. Um, and by my mom got invited to this prayer meeting uh, with charismatic Episcopalians. And yes, that can't happen. Big time, actually. So there's a little group out in, the, out in the high deserts of California, a little house out in the middle of nothing. And, uh, and they're talking about God. I'm there because I'm forced to be. I'm sitting in a chair by myself over in the corner. Nobody's paying any attention to me. But I'm listening. And they're talking about religious stuff. And uh, that's fine. And then this lady talks in another language. And I think, oh, they're bilingual. They look French or what are they? I I did. I I have no frame of reference. I am telling you this is what I'm thinking. They're bilingual, huh? And then she stops and this guy starts talking. And I listen to him and he goes, I'm thinking, why? Why, that's God talking. And the next thought was, so there is one. He talks. And then I thought, well, if there is one, I'm going to listen to him. And not with amusement. Not with, let's see what he's got to say. It wasn't that. If that's God talking, I'm listening. It's all it took. I didn't pray a sinner's prayer. I didn't know a sinner's prayer. I assumed, I think, that this must have been the God about Jesus and stuff in the Bible. I figured it was that one. And, but if he was going to talk, and if he had something to say, I would listen. I bowed my heart. It's all it took. I, then I don't know what happened because I fainted. I went out. I saw it slain on the spirit or whatever. I know that because I came too. I didn't even know what happened. I'm sitting in this chair that would hold me up. And then I find myself just absolutely uh, feeling the strange all over. And my head's tipped up and my tongue's moving by itself. And, and I think to myself, well, that's, there's an angel and he's moving my tongue. <laughs> you know, Why do you think that at 12? I don't know. Maybe there was one. I actually wonder. And... And, and I get a hold of myself. I'm terrified. I'm scared as you, you know, if you, you would be. I, I, I didn't know what this was. And I leaned around on my mother and said, let's get out of here. I'm sick. And, and she was having the same thing at the same time. So we, we got out of there. I won't go on with the story. He didn't leave me alone for weeks. Several weeks later, my mom says this to me. She says, you know, because I'm, I'm miserable. <laughs> Still every morning, every night. And I don't know what this is, but I now know what you call the thing, the tongues thing. And um, she comes to me and she says, look, if this is God, why don't you ask him to take it away? He won't do something to you you don't like. She's given me her best shot. She's not, I mean, it's dumb, I know. But that's what she knew. She's trying to help me. So I went in my room and I closed the door. And I sat down and I thought, ask him to take it away. Ask him to take it away. And then I thought, I can't ask him to take it away. I can't have him leave me. I finally have someone who loves me. So I, all my family died. It was me and mom. And she's, she's, she's just struggling and I am too. And I suddenly got, I got somebody that loves me. Somebody who's come to me and touched me. Somebody who's really interested in me. I don't know why. I don't know his name exactly. He's God, I know that. But he's interested. So I said this. God, I don't want you to leave me. But I don't want to speak in tongues. I know what you call the thing. And then I said my submission. Yet. In other words, if it's a big deal to you, I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll do it. 
Just give me some time, would you? And that pressure left me. Six years later, he caught me. Listen, what happened to me? He opened my understanding. Well, it's God. So there is one. This is revelation. I believe this. I get, okay, there is one. And then I had my part. Then I want to hear what he has to say. Then I'll listen. And he even gave me a moment where I could cast him out, if it were. I said, no. Don't go. Stay. Lydia's having that. How many of you had God in his own way push into your personal space and show up? It wasn't just doctrine, but he came to you. Amen. I think that's how people get saved. He is the Savior. He finds you. He knew you before, you were, before the worlds were made. He knew where you lived. He's been pursuing you and no, called you his from the moment you were conceived. You would think that, that everyone's answer would automatically be yes, but it's not. Some have been giving themselves permission to ignore him and choosing to love other things for a long time. And apparently somewhere along the way they passed the line and they really don't even like him or want to be with him. Others aren't willing to pay the price. So they choose what they consider the safer road and will hope for the best when they die. Now, interestingly, I never see anyone who doesn't get a religious funeral. So you may, I actually do see people cynically just figure, well, whatever happens, it will happen. You know, I've been a good person. I'm just going to I'm going to take my chances. Okay, good luck with that. But when you get buried, they always get buried with Bibles. and Oh, go man, that's so religious. I could tell you stories, and I won't. But, uh, but, but everybody, I think they hope to f- sort of fool him, like packaging. Like, oh, this one must be a Christian. Look at the Bible. Yeah. <laughs> we are simple in the way we think about things. So a decision is made to shut down, to close the door, to harden the heart, to stop listening. And here he is, to stop listening until we sense the, quote, danger is past. Until we don't feel that way anymore. Until we're normal again and we can relax. From then on, we watch for the soonest opportunity to get away and note to ourselves not to get caught like that again. Look with me just briefly at Matthew 13. I'm not going to take you. I just want you to see where this is. Matthew 13 is, is absolutely one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. And Jesus is teaching parables. And something really profound is said here. Uh, he's got a large crowd gathered there in, in uh, uh, Capernaum. And he, he teaches the parable of the sower. And then verse 10, it says, The disciples came to him and said, Why do you speak to them in parables? And Jesus answered them, to you, you disciples and you who are pressing in, it's been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it has not been granted. For whoever has faith, to him more will be given. He who has, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. So I speak to them in parables, because while seeing, they don't see. And while hearing, they don't hear. Nor do they understand. And then he quotes from Isaiah. And if you read it and don't know what you're looking at, you think he's saying, and God does that so that they won't understand. That's not what he's saying. The passage is a scolding in Isaiah, saying, I've been talking to you, but you harden your hearts, and you close your ears, and you close your eyes. You blind your eyes so you don't see what I'm trying to tell you. You close your ears so you can't hear my voice, and you harden your hearts to not receive me. So he's saying they've hardened themselves. And so I tell them parables... So I won't make the hardening worse. The gospel isn't just information, raw data. It's the truth about God. And when it's presented, honestly, God himself is there offering to come and dwell within us. The encounter forces a person to respond, which can be good or bad. It can be the moment someone starts to walk in a true relationship with God, or it can leave a person hardened. 
by saying no to God, someone had to push him away, which makes it much more difficult to say yes the next time. The experience brings the innocence of ignorance to an end. He or she met him and walked away. This is why Jesus used parables. When he taught large groups, he gave the seekers in the crowd enough truth that if they reflected on it, it would draw them closer to him. But because the truth was hidden in a story, a person who was not seeking didn't have to harden themselves much to avoid it. His parables were a way of being merciful to those who didn't love God. He didn't want to leave them in a worse condition than he found them. So he told stories they could ignore rather than propositional truth they would have to reject. You follow that? But of course, sooner or later, everyone moves from ignorance to decision. Life forces us to decide, doesn't it? Now back to Lydia. So if we dare boil down something so mysterious and intimate as someone's conversion, here are steps Luke shows us in the process of Lydia coming to Christ. Number one, she chose to keep listening. She didn't run away. She recognized a familiar voice. Her heart heard Paul talking. She heard this doctrine no one had taught her before, I'm sure. And as she listened, however, she heard God in it. You know, Jesus teaches there in John 16. Uh, we love the God so loved the world part. And, and then it goes on. And he talks about those who come to the light and those who hate the light. He says those who hate the light. In other words, when there's spiritual revelation about God, when somebody confronts you with God or the truth, there are people who walk away from it. They, 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 they turn away from it. And, 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 and Jesus tells us why. He says because they don't want God to tell them no. They don't want to be corrected. And so they walk away. And he says, but there are those who do truth. In other words, the way they live is to try to walk in what they know to be true. Doesn't mean it is. They aren't, they aren't perfect or good or, or, or uh, not sinners. But there's an integrity there. If it's true, they'll move toward it. How often have you had to say to somebody, if, you, if God showed himself beyond a shadow of a doubt and you knew it was him, would you follow him? Isn't that an interesting question? Because not everybody will. The answer, in fact, for some is, well, it depends. <laughs> What's he going to ask? Well, it's a bargain. But there are people who say, I want to know the truth. And if it is, I'll move toward it. She chose, she heard that familiar voice. Uh, uh, look at this quote. I, it, this is the way I remember it. But Luis Palau, a very, very famous uh, Hispanic evangelist, great one, spoke at the Life Bible College years ago when I was teaching there, and he said this. He said, you will never speak to anyone to whom God has not spoken first. Look, that's every person on planet Earth. I could guarantee you that before you became a Christian, there were times you saw God intervene for you. There were moments when somebody was there and you knew it. You may not, who are you? Or you, there was a protection there. There was a grace there. Come on, there was, wasn't there? He's always been there. He is for everyone on planet Earth. He is calling, revealing, coming after everyone. You'll never talk to anyone who's a blank slate. They've all had experiences with, with God. The Spirit knows. In Him we live and move and have our being. We're like fish. Swimming in water. He's there. Number two. God moved upon her mind, notice, so she could understand what she was hearing. God has to act here. She presented herself, but God had to do a miracle. She couldn't come and figure it out. No one thinks their way to God. You don't comprehend your way to God. He must open your mind. God is so different than you are. You can't comprehend him. He makes no sense. Nothing in your frame of reference, nothing in your human experience will fit him. He's different. He's other. He's holy. So he has to say, look, here's who I am. And you go, whoa. And think you were like that. He has to show you. You can't know any other way. God empowered her then 
It says he, gave, he enabled her to take to herself. He empowered her to apply what she had heard to her own life. He suspended the fears. He suspended the, the self-spirit, the Adam's spirit, the independence, the, all of the junk. And set that woman free for a moment. He just pulled it back and said, you can come, sweetheart. Here I am. He had to do that. She was a slave. You are too without Christ. And then he took her. Took to, then she. Then now her, here's her part. She took to herself. Not only the truth of the gospel. But the Lord who was present in that moment. He didn't force himself on her. He came close. But she said. Yes Lord. You see how much God must do. How much divine action there is in this. There's a human response. And only you and I can make that. He, he's a lover who's, who's wooing you. He, 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 he does not attack you. You must welcome him. She was immediately baptized. And as uh, she publicly was buried and raised from that water, uh, she was declaring to God, I die with Christ, I will rise with him. Notice how, how, how powerful that is. Paul, there's a river right there. So Paul just says, well, let's baptize. And I, I, I gather her household was with her. And there's some conversation and all, and they all get baptized. And so there he is. He's lowering her down in the water, raising her up. And she's declaring, Jesus Christ, I die with you. I rise with you. I will live forever. And now I'm a disciple. She's publicly making that declaration of her faith. She, Number six, she confessed Christ with her mouth. She shared the faith with her whole household. And they joined her in baptism. And number seven, she instantly expressed the fruit of the Spirit. Did you spot it? She urged Paul and his team to stay in her home. In fact, she wouldn't take no for an answer. Certainly, this was hospitality at work. But it was more than that. It was her desire to protect them. The danger they were in, in that highly anti-Semitic city, they weren't even aware. They're either sleeping in the fields, or they're sleeping in the inn. Which, either place, somebody's going to kill them. And so she says, no, no, you must come into my home. No, we would not think, no, no, you will come into my home. You will come into my home. And and, and Luke says, and she conquered us. (laughs) So there was a fight. They didn't know. This woman's protecting him. You will come under my covering. You'll come into my home. I will protect you. Application. Luke makes it clear that salvation is a divine action. We don't find God. He comes to us. But he also makes it clear that there is a human response. A human action involved. When he comes to us in the gospel. We're forced to make a decision. Will we Shut down what's happening or let him draw us further. Why would anyone deliberately push him away? Many reasons. They don't want to stop doing something they enjoy. We often intuitive that that moment of evaluation goes on. If I say yes, that's got to go. I know it. And I'm, I'm thinking in my mind that God, that God, that I mean, that's going on. They don't want family or friends to laugh at them or punish them. Man, if I do that, I've got trouble. If I say yes to this Jesus, oh, wow, have I got trouble at home. They are determined to stay angry at God and punish him for something he did or didn't do. This is a very real issue. There are people who are bitterly angry at God and disappointed with what something he did or didn't do and answered a prayer for them years ago or whatever this is. They call and you did this. And they're not going to forgive him. They're, they're determined. They're going to punish him to the end. They are afraid he will require too much. Every single person seems to think, if I give my life to Jesus, he's going to ask me to be single. May I point out he, he invented sex? But anyway. Uh, and commanded you to be married. And uh, if I notice, be fruitful. Okay. Or be poor. Or, or, or the worst of all, go to Borneo. Um, that was mine. And, and 
And they aren't willing to trust that his will is best. You know, he may ask some of those things of you. Uh, he's not flipping. I've got to be careful with this. But whatever he will ask of you is the best thing. And not just theoretically. As time goes on, you will someday thank him with all your heart. He wanted me to be a pastor. It was the last thing I wanted to be. Now that I'm an old man, am I sorry that I'm a pastor? Not at all. I am profoundly grateful that he let me do what I'm doing. I'm so... He was right, I was wrong, but I had to... I had to do that. And finally, and this is not me just tossing something in, they aren't willing to forgive themselves for something awful they've done. I have encountered this. There are people who've done something. I've encountered men who've been unfaithful to their spouse and their spouse doesn't know it. And they are so bitterly angry at themselves that they've literally decided guys like me belong in hell. And you can talk to them all you want to. And and they're thinking, Pastor, you don't know what I've done. You don't know what I've done. Look, God does. And what you don't seem to get a hold of is one, the power of Jesus Christ. But not only that, the love of God. He sees beyond your sin. Let's imagine you without the sin, without that. Let's imagine you being the you he made. That's something beautiful. That's something beautiful. And so you must not deny the word of God. His power to forgive and his love for you is not just talk. He can make you what you're supposed to be. You need to let that happen if somehow you've relegated yourself to the ash heap. Why why do people receive him? Like Lydia, they realize he's the one they want to be with forever. There's really one reason for this, and it's always been about love. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please click the like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend. For more information, just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. That's lifelessonspublishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.